like the divide that happens with people who are, have children and don't have children. You know, once people start having children, they realize, oh my gosh, there are children in the world. Um, and um, it's the same thing as with hearing loss. That's Jan Bluestein, Professor of Health Policy and Medicine at NYU, who is joining us today to talk about hearing loss. I'm Navjoit Larder, Clinical Editor at the BMJ, and a new analysis article published on bmj.com describes how many older adults will have difficulty understanding speech due to hearing loss when they're on hospital wards or in emergency departments, and this can have a knock-on effect on the quality of their care. I talked to Professor Bluestein about why this is important and what we can do about it. Dr. Bleenstein, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, I just wanted to ask you first what um, compelled, compelled you to write about this topic. Yes, um, I have a hearing loss. I began to lose hearing when I was a young assistant professor. And um, over the years, um, I've sort of treated it as my own little private medical problem. Um, and then when I got older, um, I began to realize how many older people have hearing loss. It's highly prevalent. Um, when you get to be in your 60s, you, it's almost impossible that either you or your spouse or one of your good friends is struggling to hear. Um, and um, the struggle may be mild or great. So it's something that it occurred to me was a real problem in medical care. We often deliver medical care in settings where uh, there's a lot of noise and um, where there's a lot of stress, there's a lot going on. And uh, so it occurred to me to begin to think about how hearing loss is impacting our communication uh, with patients. Can you tell us what it's like to actually experience hearing loss? I can tell you a joke. <laughs> sure. I mean, I, I can tell you what it's like to hear and not to hear well. I live on Washington Square Park, which, I'm, which is a beautiful park in New York City. And when I was a young woman, I used to take a lot of walks through the park. And, and when I walked through the park, a lot of people would try and sell me drugs. And so I'd often hear people muttering to me, um, you know, you want some weed, you want to smoke. And, um, you know, I didn't think much of it. And then as the years went on, nobody was offering me drugs anymore. <laughs> And recently, I got a brand new set of hearing aids, um, and I was walking through the park on the way home from the audiologist, and lo and behold, someone offered me drugs. I heard someone ask me if I wanted some weed, and I knew then that I had a great new set of hearing aids, and I was good to go. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> well, it just goes to show that we need to be thinking more broadly about this, not just noisy environments like the hospital ward, but also um, in other environments where we may not consider how important communication is. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, you, you sound young. And, and I think that it's really interesting. That it's like the divide that happens with people who are, have children and don't have children. You know, once people start having children, they realize, oh, my gosh, there are children in the world. Um, and um, it's the same thing as with hearing loss. So I can't tell you how many times I've had colleagues come into my office and say I'm having difficulty hearing because they know that I do. And they just they tell me that and they ask me what to do about it. Um, so it's at that it's, point that they suddenly, the, the light bulb go, goes off, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, and they realize that they've really got a problem. And if you, if you were 65, you'd be aware of this. I mean, all of a sudden people realize either they can't hear or their spouse can't hear well. It's not that they can't hear. It's that they can't understand speech well. And they're, making, they're investing effort in hearing or understanding. And, and just how common is it? 
It's very common. Um, for example, um, in, as we say in the article, in people uh, over the age of 60, about close to half have a clinically significant hearing loss on examination. And then in an 80-year-old population, for example, uh, you'd find that about 80% of people have difficulty hearing. It doesn't mean that people who are 80 and older will be unable to hear at all, of course. It means that those people will have difficulty understanding speech in certain situations. And, for example, when there's um, a lot of ambient noise, when there's stress, when there's a lot going on, hearing declines. And that's when it's important to make sure that people are hearing what you're saying. And one of those settings where there is a lot of ambient noise are sort of acute healthcare settings. Um, so hospital department, uh, emergency departments and hospital wards. Um, and with it being so common, it, it is surprising how under-recognized it is, I think. It certainly is. When I look back at my own medical training, I don't think that I learned that older people, for example, have difficulty hearing, and I, or, or typically do. And I want to make the distinction here, and it's an important one, be, between people who have difficulty understanding speech and people who ha- uh, find it practically impossible to understand speech. So people use different language to refer to these two different populations, but people who are deaf, for example, or um, are often congenitally deaf, may not use spoken language at all, and they may use sign language. Um, So it's really a very different situation when somebody who has, for all their life, used spoken language to communicate, then is in a situation where they um, have difficulty understanding speech. I think that most people have had this had this kind of difficulty in some situations. For example, in a noisy restaurant, often even very young people with good hearing have difficulty understanding. But for people who have hearing loss, um, of even of a mild, mild to moderate nature, in a busy, noisy situation are often not going to be able to understand unless they have some kind of help. And there are various kinds of help that can be offered. And in the article, you describe how many healthcare settings are difficult listening situations. Um, what is it? What is it about healthcare settings that that make them that way? Well, first of all, as listeners know, um, hospitals are noisy places, um, emergency rooms in particular, um, and uh, certainly intensive care units, but just generally hospital um, hospital wards are noisy, um, televisions are noisy, carts going by are noisy, and um, those uh, intermittent noises make it difficult for someone who has hearing loss to sort out the signal, which is the speech signal, from the noise uh, around. In what ways do you think this is having an impact on the quality of care? You know, we talk, we, we talk a lot or we give a lot of lip service to the idea of communicating with patients, using patient-oriented language, you know, sort of uh, all those things that we talk about all the time. And, of course, if patients can't hear what we're saying, um, they're unlikely to be able to communicate with us or to understand or to, for example, um, follow up appropriately. If you discharge someone in a noisy emergency room and uh, change their medications, for example, it's going to be difficult if that person hasn't heard you for that person to be able to comply. We're just beginning to understand this, and in fact, along with my colleagues at NYU, I'm doing some work in the emergency room here to look at uh, you know, how hearing loss impacts uh, the ability to understand things like discharge instructions. But I think it's more, I'm, and I'm quite confident that it's more of a global problem, that um, People who have hearing loss, when they're in noisy situations or in stressful situations or when they're in situations where unfamiliar vocabulary is being used, will simply check out. (laughs) 
and not um, and not follow what's going on. Um, those of us with hearing loss often smile and nod so that uh, the, world, the world thinks that we understand. It's just more convenient. It's easier. And certainly in medical encounters for busy physicians, those of you who are um, listening to this podcast, um, this, is, this is something where we also want to move on. We want to get our work done. And so um, it's sort of a, it takes two or more, and um, I think often to the detriment of good patient care. But as you describe in the article, there are some some quite simple, some possibly more more uh, broader and far-reaching measures that clinicians can take to improve communication um, with their patients who may perhaps have hearing loss. Can you talk us through some of those steps? I'd be happy to. Some of them are just very simple. I think first, the simplest and most important thing is to be aware that a, a patient may have hearing loss. So when you think about 80% of people 80 and older and you think of about half of people 60 and older, you're talking about a lot of your patients, unless you're, I suppose, a pediatrician. Um, so just being aware that someone may, be diff- may have difficulty hearing is, is really important, and asking is a good step. So the BMJ recently had a piece that was called something like, How Can I Help You to Hear?, written by somebody with hearing loss who was talking about um, the difficulty she was having and how it would have been very useful to be able to uh, talk to a clinician in a quiet place. But um, it's not, of course, not always possible to find a quiet place. And you even mentioned in the article that, that there is a sort of um, misunderstanding among clinicians that sometimes when, if you don't ask those questions and you feel that a patient is responding inappropriately to your questions, you go to the assumption that they may have a form of cognitive impairment rather than the more sort of straightforward explanation of hearing loss. I think my intuition is that this is one of the great <laughs> great issues of sort of low-hanging fruit in clinical medicine, that uh, the assumption that somebody has cognitive impairment when they don't respond appropriately, it's just, it's a, I think, it's probably a very, a quite a prevalent problem. Um, but in any event, um, and, and you can ask a patient, and, and patients will sometimes, um, sometimes people will disclose that they have hearing loss, and sometimes they won't, and there are various reasons. They might not even be aware that they have a hearing loss. Sometimes that's the case. Certainly, there are simple steps that can be taken that are described briefly in the article, and I, um, we've provided a reference um, to Action on Hearing Loss's uh, website, which uh, provides these steps in detail, but basically, they're common sense steps. Often people with hearing loss lip read a good bit. In fact, um, studies show that people without hearing loss lip read a lot. So we use um, lip reading cues in order to make sense of speech. And one very important thing is simply to face the patient and um, let the patient see your mouth so don't put anything in front of your face. Um, speaking reasonably uh, loudly but not shouting and uh, articulating with some uh, you know, comfort but not in an exaggerated fashion is helpful. Um, those often, um, and if you can find a quiet place, so much the better, or if you can turn off the television, or if you can um, ask people in the room to speak one at a time. Often we see patients, for example, in the hospital in what we call in the United States rounds, don't know what you call it. Um, so there'll be many people talking at once. The patient needs to lip read or anybody needs to look and listen to a number of people around the bed. Um, if you can just make a rule that well, one person talks at a time, that can be incredibly helpful. Again, these are very simple things, and they, but they do take effort. And um, as clinicians, um, we're busy. And um, so that's another step that you can take that will cost you some time, but probably will pay off in terms of communication. 
And then there are some um, steps that are that are more elaborate. Um, one of the steps we talk about in the uh, paper is the use of an, a pocket amplifier. Um, has goes under various names. A simple device that will um, you can speak into a microphone. It is an amplifier, and the patient can wear headphones. A lot of um, hospitals in the U.S. stock these, um, and you can order them up. Um, older people, many older people, just love them and um, they can really help um, with one-on-one conversation. So that's worth um, trying. Um, And those those steps, along with sort of broader institutional steps, uh, which we discuss in the article, are really heavier lifts that an individual can't take on his or her own, are ways that I think you can really um, improve communication with patients who have hearing loss. Thank you. And you you mentioned at the outset that one of the one of your impetus for writing this paper was how um, little awareness there is of this issue and that when you went to write the paper there was very little sort of published research that you could find about the outcomes um, for patients who have hearing loss and the, the specific kind of clinical effects that might be associated with the with the poorer communication. Why do you think it is that it uh, has been so under-recognized for so long? That's a good question. I think disability generally is not something that medicine is attra- you know medicine is attracted to. We tend to be attracted to really uh, dramatic um, acute illness, and disability is something that we don't pay that much attention to. We'd pre- probably prefer not to. It's complicated. It takes time. Um, I think the fact that this is something that occurs primarily, uh, at least hearing loss during life, occurs primarily in older people, this is kind of dismissed as normal for aging. And, um, you know, sort of people sort of daughter off, and um, if they can't hear, well, they're not, they're not missing much, I guess, is sort of the attitude. And I think so I think that's ageism. I also think that people with hearing loss um, are, are responsible, too, because we tend to be, we tend to have, be reluctant to disclose our disability. Um, and um, it's 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 stigmatizing. Uh, wearing a hearing aid, for example, is stigmatizing. So um, those are things. That the, the latter two are really more social issues. But I think in medicine, really, it's the issue of functioning and disability are not glamorous parts of medicine, and uh, they tend not to receive as much attention. Yeah. It's unfortunate because, um, you know, it's, as, I, as I see it, as my colleagues see it, it's, as I said, it's really low-hanging fruit in terms of being able to improve care in those acute situations in terms of being able to do better and helping patients to cope with their medical conditions. Well, hopefully your article and, and that wider work that you just mentioned will go some way to improving things. Um, Dr. Bluestein, thanks so much for joining us. It's been my pleasure. Um, thank you so much, and um, I look forward to hearing from your readers if they'd like. Yes, that's great. That article, They Can't Hear You, is will be available on bmj.com, and do, do leave a rapid response if you want to contribute to the discussion and the debate. Thanks for listening. You can find all our podcasts on SoundCloud or wherever you get, wherever else you get your podcasts from. There you'll find our fallback catalogue, which is hundreds of episodes, all available for free. Like and subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our future podcasts.